Well, if you could turn uh, with me to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. And this morning we mentioned, didn't we, that Welsh prince, Kiluch, um, and we were, we were surveying him, and we saw how John, in John chapter 5, surveys the deity of our lovely Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And back in that mythological tale, one thing that always strikes me uh, when I was a teenager reading them was that his quest, in his quest to, for his bride, for that land where he will live with his bride, the sheer determination, sheer determination to complete these 38 impossible tasks, completely impossible. I won't go into them. Well, I'll tell you one, one of which involves finding the oldest animals on earth and asking them questions. <laughs> Very difficult task. But through the tale, this story, this picture, what we're seeing is a determination of the bridegroom to, to, to get his bride. And we're seeing in Revelation 21, there was a reason I read the end of 20, because that's where we were this morning, wasn't it? The day of judgment. Coming now to Revelation 21, we're given a glimpse, aren't we, of the renewal of all creation. And according to the Scripture, the present world will never simply continue forever, like many of the ancient philosophers thought, nor will it be destroyed completely and replaced by a totally new one. No, the Bible tells us that it will be cleansed, recreated, reborn, renewed, made whole. So look at verses 1 and 2 with me now. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride. Notice that, a bride adorned for her husband. I saw, I saw. We heard this morning about hearing, didn't we? Hearing. And it's the same writer here now in Revelation. He's older now. And what does he tell us? He sees two things, doesn't he? He sees two things. This morning, and if you think about it, John had seen so much in his life, hadn't he? You think about that. Have you thought about that? He'd seen that lovely Bethesda poolside miracle. That was amazing in itself. And how that man got up at the words of the Nazarene immediately. John saw that. He'd seen unbelievable things. People who had never seen before come in to sight. Have you ever thought about the wonder of the gospel, my friends? Even when Jesus Christ walked on this earth, the amazing things that were happening. It's quite moving, isn't it? And I wonder as a child, if he ever imagined that he would see the Messiah, the promised anointed one of Israel. And I wonder whether he wondered back then an end to Rome, maybe. I wonder whether he ever expected to be imprisoned on an island 
a rocky island called Patmos. And what did he see on that island? Heaven itself, heaven itself. The book of Revelation is just that. It's my intention now to slow down. We're coming to the new heavens and the new earth and take you through these chapters when I'm preaching here for the next few sermons. The book of Revelation is a revealing, isn't it? Seeing is really important through its pages. According to B.B. Warfield, a a very well-known theologian, what we have here, in effect, is a picture of the whole period between the first and second advents. Children, you have an advent calendar, don't you? Christmas is coming. Jesus came, didn't he? What we see is a period between Jesus' first and second coming, seen from the point of view of heaven. This is not a book written in a linear, chronological order. A surveying takes place, whereby John is given glimpses, glimpses, and God expressing the same truths in different ways from different perspectives. Come with me to this island, though, before we delve into the text. It's a penal colony. Think of Papillon, that film, that rough island. And such an unlikely place for this glorious uncovering. Things were tough for Christians back then. You think things are tough now for you, Christian? Back then, it was really tough. Tougher, I would even dare say, to the human eye, Emperor Domitian called himself Lord and God. Deus et Dominus Noster. That was his title. And this, it, you, could be, you could understand John, couldn't you, if the spirit of John the Baptist had overtaken him on that island. I'm here. My church is over there. I'm here. But instead, in Revelation 1 verse 10, we are told that he is on this, in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And he is given this unveiling, a showing, which would undoubtedly have comforted him. And it definitely would have comforted the early church. Do you need comfort tonight, my friend? Things are tough. Yes, Domitian was portrayed as the new sun rises by the poet Statius, and with the great lights more radiant still than they, mightier than the morning star in the east. This was the world that John was living in, where this pretender was on the throne. John may have been aware of these blasphemous things, thinking of Nebuchadnezzar back in Daniel 2, the king of Tyre, even Satan himself, And in contrast, through the book of Revelation, what we are seeing is Christ as the real emperor whose lordship and deity overturns the hopelessness of their situation, overturns it. And the purpose of this last chapter, oh my friends, do you see it? The purpose of this last chapter is to contrast the weaknesses of the church back in chapter 1 to 3. Do you remember them? The seven poor little churches, still churches, and now in perfection in Revelation 21. 
John wants to exhort believers in the present to persevere through temptations to compromise. Sound familiar? So that they too may participate in the glory we read of here. May it be the same for you here tonight. I saw, John says, two things. What does he see? First of all, look at verse 1. Now, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Why does he see this? Well, the text tells us, because the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. New here means newness in quality or essence. John was challenging the philosophers of the age, Plato, Aristotle, who said that this world will just keep on going like it is. No, even science seems to deny that today, doesn't it? John is seeing the transformation of creation in verse 1. This is physical. Think back to the flood. You know, the earth must have been oh, chiseled and hammered. When I was in the Grand Canyon in Arizona, I don't know how many of you have been there, I remember looking over that vista. Um, I was there, Dad had a conference, and I, he, he very kindly took me with him. And we looked at the vista, and we walked inside, and all I could think about was the flood being, the, you know, the scientists could laugh at me if they want, but that's what I saw I tried to imagine it before the flood and the ice ages. The physical structure of creation was changed by water, wasn't it? The Bible tells us that fire will be used the second time. And Noah comes out, doesn't he? Have you thought about that moment when Noah and his family step out into a new world? Oh, breathing in that fresh air after being locked up in the house, in the ark rather. Sorry, I'm using the language of COVID already. That's long, stuffy ark. And you can imagine the big cats. Yes, they're there too. It's not a children's story. And the cattle and the birds stretching their wings and the humans coming out with teary eyes. The Lord is God. And they see, what do they see? The rainbow of their covenant king. Yes, the rainbow, not just of their king, but of a love, of a love. We have been kept. You see what's going on in that passage, don't you? That's what it will be like. A whole new world. Revelation 21 verse 1. We tasted a little bit of it in lockdown. Was God maybe telling us this one day we will be even freer even freer. We felt cooped up like animals during lockdown, didn't we? Going to the shop afterwards was a, was a luxury and having that awful mask over our mouths. And yet we had that fresh air now, don't we? Even though it's quite hot here this evening. <laughs> Noah's family represented humanity, didn't they? Listen to one writer here. God's honour consists precisely in the fact that he redeems and renews the same humanity, the same world, the same heaven, and the same earth that has been corrupted and polluted by sin. 
Just as anyone in Christ is a new creation in whom the old has passed away. Do you remember that old man? The old has passed away and everything has become new. So also this world passes away, doesn't it? In its present form, in order out of its womb, at God's word of power. Notice that, God's word again. God's word of power to give birth and being to a new world. This isn't just spiritual, brothers and sisters. The Old Testament is brimming with the word land, 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 like I said a few weeks back, 2,500 times. Land, 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 land. This world, it seems, consists of heaven and earth coming together, doesn't it? Its inhabitants in their glory will once again consist of a soul and a body remade. You see, Jesus came the first time to establish the kingdom in a spiritual sense, didn't he? He returns at the end of history to give visible shape to it. Isn't that wonderful? Our rebirth, when I was born again, goes hand in hand with the rebirth of creation. All this is done in and through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we've been singing about Jesus tonight. Usually we sing hymns to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But tonight, I wanted you to realize that all of this is through Christ. Our union with Him, the King. Turn with me briefly to Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. These are the... John uses the language of the prophet here to try and describe what he sees. Isaiah 65. Do turn with me if you've got your Bible. It's good to familiarize ourselves. Isaiah 65. And we'll begin at verse 17. For behold, ring a bell, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Verse 18, if you're just getting there, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. You see, Israel, stay there in Isaiah 65. Israel is being restored here in the new earth, isn't it? Joy and gladness. Notice these things. Joy. Take gladness. No crying anymore. How many of you have cried this week? Notice of verse 19. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Now Israel's return from Babylon, just to give you a bit of background here, partially fulfilled that prophecy, didn't it? They would have been happy to come home, but only in a very limited and incomplete sense. Look at verse 21. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruits. Yes, but then in verse 25, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is something that's coming, isn't it? The text alludes to animals again, bringing Noah, Noah's ark into our minds. 
You remember those little Seths just had one of these arcs, and I find myself playing with it more than Seth. <laughs> it's a lovely lark, and the animals are all there. The text alludes to animals in the new earth. The ark didn't just house humans, did it? In Genesis 9, God's plan for a renewed earth after the flood emphatically involved animals. I'll leave that there <laughs> for now. But let's turn back to Revelation 21. Let's see what John sees. We're still in this first point. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Now, those of you beach lovers, I can see some of you here now. I probably, oh no, I love the beach. <laughs> well, back in our text, John is seeing the fulfillment, isn't he, of Isaiah's prophecy. And we know it's not of this earth because he says, doesn't he, there will be no sea. And obviously, if you go to Cardiff Bay, the sea is still there. Remember, John is not giving a sketch here. He's providing us with an image, almost like postcards from a, a dream. There's a symbolic dimension here. It's just like the early readers of this text. Like when you go into a bookshop or scroll on Netflix, if you do period drama, you, you know what you're going to expect, don't you? There's going to be women in bonnets and men in top hats and manners and quirky characters. You know what you're getting in that genre. Well, similarly, when the early readers were opening Revelation, they knew that John was going to be speaking in sign and symbol. He says that at the very beginning of the book. So what about the sea then? Well, we compare Scripture to Scripture. Elsewhere in Revelation, the sea represents... I start counting. The origin of cosmic evil, chapter 4, 13, and 15. The unbelieving, rebellious nations who cause tribulation for God's people, too. The place of the dead, those deep places. Think of the Mariana Trench. Four, the main arena in which the world's idolatrous trade takes place, chapter 18. And a literal body of water part of the old creation. Do you see what John is saying here? John is saying there won't be any threat from Satan anymore. One, any threat from rebellious nations, gone. No death anymore. No drowning anymore. No more idolatrous trade anymore. And even the literal sea in that murky sense of it, the depths, will not be the same. That unruly part of God's creation. I remember my cousin when we were young and we went to Pembrey Sands, the poor fellow. He had salt water in his eyes. So he runs to a rock pool and starts trying to wash the water out of his eyes. And he's crying, he's not happy. And what does he do then? He goes into the water but he can't see anything. It's so deep and uncertain. And he's all disturbed. And he comes out to the sea. And then he sees one of those signs in West Wales which warns of unexplored. It bombs because of, because of the army practice. Now, I think that's getting closer. I don't think it will be like that 
in the new earth. But perhaps there will be large bodies of water. You remember the Narnia books, not just for children, remember. They can be read as adults. When Reaper Cheap, the heroic mouse, nears Aslan's land, what happens? The water turns sweet. And he knows there's no longer any threat. But, but that's not all that John sees, is it? Look at verse 2. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You see, my friends, this evening, before we come to the table, the heart of Christian hope is the pleasure of being with our bridegroom. Let's not forget that wonderful truth as we tread these new pastures. May we not forget the words of Paul when he said it's far better to be with him, to be with him. The great reformer, Martin Luther, his favourite way of looking at the Bible, we, we looked a few weeks ago how the story of the Bible is heaven coming back to earth. But for Luther, his favourite uh, way of looking at the Bible is a great love story where this king, like he looked of old, that mythological figure I mentioned at the start, seeks after a woman of ill repute this time. And when they marry, all that is his is given to this woman of ill repute. New clothing, a new name, a new identity. That was Luther's reading of the Bible. I think I mentioned this when I preached in Isaiah 61 a few months ago. Notice a John's language here. What is he saying? Then I, John, saw the holy city. It's like, isn't it? This is a simile, isn't it? Like a bride, as a bride adorned for her husband. It's a beautiful image just to end the day with today, isn't it? Now, John is using the words now, not of Isaiah where we were before, but of Isaiah 52. Put on your strength, O Zion. 52 verse 1. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come into you. The image we have here, this beautiful bride... It's also a city. It's also a garden coming down from heaven. No longer that broken, wailing woman of lamentations, those of you who know the Old Testament. No, nor the virgin who is treated in an abominable way. No, this city is pure, clean, isn't it? No spot or sin, a bride adorned for her husband. This is the final fulfillment of what Isaiah looked forward to. Turn with me again. We have to turn to Isaiah 62 and verse 1. These two verses introduce us, as you like, to the new heavens and new earth. For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation. She, he's talking about, the servant is talking about the church here. 
salvation as a lamp that burns. You see, throughout history, God has been preparing his people for himself, hasn't he? In Isaiah, the bridegroom is getting ready for the wedding. I don't know if many of you have been married recently. Please forgive the personal illustration here, but it fits quite well. When I was married, I had to have help to dress myself. I don't look for uh, sympathy here. Uh, my groomsman had to tie the tie and um, tie my laces. <laughs> I'd been unwell. Um, and that's not the image we're getting in Isaiah, is it? There are no groomsmen here. Back a few pages in Isaiah 59, he put on righteousness. Think of a bridegroom getting ready for a wedding. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. You see, he's getting ready for his bride, for you, for you, the church. Chapter 60 in Isaiah looks forward to the adornments of Zion. And then in chapter 61, we realize what all of this was for. What all of this was for. Isaiah 61 verse 11. I know we're jumping, but it's important, my friends, for you to see the whole picture of the Bible. Look, he wants a fruitful garden to grow. Notice how the metaphors flow into one another. Garden, city, bride. Just like the end of Revelation, he desires that his bride becomes an object of righteousness and praise whom he delights in, whom he adores. For as the earth brings forth its bud, 61.11, as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God, God, will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. It's for her, you see. It was always for her. When he came into the world and he went to that cross, it was for her. It's the servant who is clothed in righteousness in these chapters. And then in 62 too, the bride is now righteous too. It's he who has clothed his church in righteousness. He will not rest, you see. He will not stop until you, you, the church, is glorified. For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. We're back in 62 again. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. Why? Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp, a lamp that burns. Coming to the end now of this very brief uh, walk, if you like, into that final paradise. Revelation, that big scary book for some of you. It's about how, it is for me, I can tell you that. It is the washed ones who approach the tree of life. They're clean. My friends, we're coming to the communion table. We're remembering the love of our bridegroom. What did that love look like? 
Golgotha. Lifted up was he to die. Things are bleak out there, aren't they? Yes, they are. But because of Jesus Christ and being united to him, we can now have communion with him. You see, we're remembering the love of our bridegroom tonight. We're remembering his victory. Do not be defeatist, my friends. We are heading to the new heavens and the new earth. Are you coming? We're remembering his death when he died for me and for you, for his bride. We're remembering his resurrection. Death could not hold him. Death has lost its sting, hasn't it? Are you glad about that? I am. I really am. How can you remain unmoved, my friends, when you know it was for you? It was for you? Notice we sang that beautiful hymn, didn't we, by Robert Murray McShane. You know, he was dead by the time he was my age. He was there already. That's frightening, isn't it? No, it's glorious. It's glorious. Listen to this other hymn. The bride eyes not her garments. Do you know it? But her dear bridegroom's face. I can't wait, you know. I will not gaze at glory, but on my king of grace, not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hands, for you, for you, the Lamb, the Lamb, the Lamb, is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. You know what Emmanuel means, don't you? God with us. We will be with him at last. My Christian friends, this evening, remember who you are, all right? Remember who you are. Do not be despondent. Don't get him... Don't get depressed by the situation out there. I know it's easy to say, you have a lover, a bridegroom lover. No, even better, a bridegroom who's coming to get us, to bring us home. Your end is already written. That's what Revelation 21 is, my friends. Your end is already written. Your destiny in Christ is secured. Why? Because of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But if you're a stranger to him tonight, if you're a stranger, then do not take the bread and the wine. You are not fit to take it, you see. We we are sinners when we come to the table, but we're saved sinners, grateful sinners. If you're a stranger to him, don't, don't take it. Can you say this evening, like Peter, like Peter of old, that another man who'd seen a lot, hadn't he? He really had. Do you remember what he says? We, the church, according to his promise, Jesus keeps his promises. Isn't that good? Not like us who keep breaking our promises, go behind each other's backs. No. Jesus keeps his promise. Look, we look for new heavens and a new earth. And he goes even further, doesn't he? In which righteousness dwells. Why? Because our righteous Savior is there. Are you coming? Are you coming, my friends? Lord, uh, let's pray. Lord, 
We know that we are not worthy in our, in our own, by our own merits to come. And yet we, we love you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Lord, we, we can't, t- we scarcely can take it in what it meant for you, the Holy One, the Holy, 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 Righteous, Clean, Spotless One to bear away my sin. Oh, Father, we thank you for giving us your Son. And may we now, through your Spirit, feast on him together. We ask this in Jesus' precious, precious name. Amen. Well, before we come to the table, let's sing 812. 812. This is my prayer for us this evening. I saw a new vision of Jesus, a view I'd not seen here before. And do you remember that last stanza? For yonder, yonder, a light shines eternal, which spreads through the valley of gloom, Lord Jesus, resplendent and regal, drives fear, fear away from that awful tomb. Let's sing together.
is the end of our journey. Lord, we thank you for the gospel and thank you for your Son, oh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, we ask, may those who have never tasted and seen that he is good taste and see him for the first time, even this evening. The table is open for a sinner who is not trusting in themselves, but has flown to Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Continue with us, Lord. Be with us, we ask now in Jesus' precious name. Amen.